Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday service message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Kristen Joan Wood. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you in your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the word of the Lord. You know, someone asked me the other day, um, what does it mean to live well? And uh, so I gave it some thought, and um, I thought of my mom and how she shaped my answer to this. And uh, I want to give a shout out to my dad and Susan, who are watching on the live stream was also my dad and Susan. So we all have amazing people in our lives, whether they're our biological uh, moms and dads or not. We all have a great influence in each other's lives. And so um, anyway, my mom was a godly woman. She was a great example of loving and serving Jesus every day of her life. She was a math teacher. She was the president of Women's Aglow in the chapter that, and all that was going on back then. She was a Bible teacher, a choir director, but most of all, she was the best mom ever. And um, I always tell my kids, I'm the best mom you'll ever have. So, you know, we're all the best moms. And so I remind them regularly that I'm the best mom they'll ever have. But I can say that about my mom, that she was the best mom that I ever had. So early in the, in the 90s, um, there was a, a, a move of God with renewal and revival, and the Holy Spirit was moving. I don't know how many of you remember the 90s, um, but it was amazing. God was moving across the U.S. in lots of different places and just bringing a fresh move of his Holy Spirit. And and, uh, my dad happened to be at that time a pastor on staff of a church where this renewal and revival was happening, and they would have meetings that would start at like five in the afternoon and go until sometimes five in the morning. I mean, it would just be, people would be on the floor. They would just, for hours, on the floor, just receiving from God. And and Jesus would just walk around and touch people and talk to them. And, and it was amazing. So my dad, I know, and I'm like, God, You know, I was talking to some young people the other day about some of these moves of God that have happened in my lifetime, and there have been a lot more that happened before my lifetime, but I thought, this, there's a whole generation that has not seen a move of God like that, and it started a cry in me for the next generation, that they would have their visitation of God to them. I mean, I can tell you all about the hours that I spent on a carpet or the hours that I sobbed into a carpet having Jesus talk to me. 
But if you don't have those in your generation, you can hear me talk about it, and maybe some faith will be built in you. But I am asking God, I am just like been crying out to God, God, we need it in this generation right now. We need the movement of the Holy Spirit right now. Some of us who have already experienced it a couple times, I want more. I'm like, it's like chocolate. It's like chocolate. You have one piece of chocolate and you want more. And it's Jesus. And it's like, oh, I want more, Jesus. Of uh, Just knock me on the floor. I don't care. Just knock me on the floor. It's, as long as you meet me on the floor, knock me on the floor. Is that hunger in you? That hunger is in me. Anyway, my mom and dad, I go back to my story, but my dad was a pastor on, on staff at this church, and so it was his night to close up the meeting. So when it's your night to close, you're there until the last person gets off the floor. So my mom stayed until about midnight that night, and it, was, it kept going and going, and so she said to my dad, I'm going home. I'll see you when you get home. So my mom went home and got her Diet Coke and, uh, and started cross-stitching. She would sit in the, uh, on the couch and she would cross-stitch. And when my dad got home, and I don't even know what time it was that night he got home, he saw her on the couch and thought she was sleeping. Well, she was dead. She had, Jesus had called her home. He went to wake her up, and she was dead. And he, she was absolutely fine at midnight. I don't know when, when Jesus called her name, but it was in the middle of cross-stitching this. It says... <laughs> I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ who lives within me. She was cross-stitching this. She didn't finish it. I had the privilege of finishing it and framing it and giving it to my dad. While I was doing this cross-stitch, I thought about the scripture. I thought about Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. And it changed my life. 27 years ago, my life was changed not because of my mother's life, but because of my mother's death. It was in both that my life was changed. It, yes, I was changed by her life and how she just influenced and gave me everything I have, gifts and talents, and I mean, they're from God, but I mean, she, would, she just encouraged me my entire life. And, but in her death... I was transformed by that scripture because I realized that I have been crucified with Christ 
And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My mother gave me a gift that day, or as I worked on this, she gave me a gift that said, this is who you are, Joan. My identity. My identity was found and founded in Christ. Who I am. It's him living within me. It's not me. It's not that Joan Wood is wonderful. It's that Christ in me is wonderful. And that's the li life I live now by faith in the Son of God, Christ Jesus. That's the life that I live. Knowing who I am, knowing my identity, knowing who I am, I am loved by God. Do you know that he loved me while I was still a sinner? Anybody know Romans 5.8? Christ loved me while I was still an enemy of him. While I wasn't even nice. You think I'm nice now. I was not nice before Jesus. But Jesus still loved me when I was not nice. Loved, loved by him. This, I, I wish there was some way that this reality that I live in of being loved by Christ, I wish, I wish I could inject it into you. I pray all the time, Holy Spirit, do what my words can't do. Have an encounter. Have a, have a visitation with every single person of the amazing, incomprehensible love of Jesus. It changes everything in your life. I used to care what people thought about me. I used to care about that. It's like, wait a minute. If I'm crucified with Christ, if I am loved by God, it does not matter what anybody else thinks. It's what Jesus is doing. And if I keep emptying and surrendering my life, Jesus is going to be more and more of my life. So what you're going to be seeing in me is Jesus, not Joan. And that's the way that we live. So this has all shaped who I am. And this love of God is so amazing, amazing. There's nothing more powerful than the love of Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. If you don't know Jesus, come talk to me. Because the love of Jesus is so, uh, there just aren't even, I don't even have enough words to describe the impact of knowing that I am loved by God.
has changed my life. And so the, the scripture that I, that I live by a lot is in Psalm 84. It says, Blessed is the man or woman whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The valley of Baca is a place of weeping or sadness or trouble or something like that. Blessed is the man or woman whose strength is in you. God, my strength is in you. And my heart is set on adventure. I don't know how many of you know me, but I love adventure. But my adventure is always like, Jesus, what are we doing here? Where are we going now? What are you doing? It can be at Wegmans. It can be an adventure to Wegmans. It doesn't matter where the adventure is. But if your heart is set on that adventure and your heart is found in him, then when you go into those places... And there's going to be people who are in the middle of a storm or things are not going well. You bring Jesus and you make it a spring. You bring life. You bring love. You bring hope. That's what you bring with you when, you, when your life is crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's him that's living in you. So now I want to tell you a st another story. I, I'm just a storyteller. So last Sunday, Chris was preaching on Acts 1-8. And I'm sitting in the back. And sometimes when, when I'm just, when the Lord's speaking to me, my leg starts to shake. And I, I'm sitting back there, and Chris is preaching on Acts 1-8, and my leg starts to shake. I'm like... I love Chris's preaching. I've heard it for a long time. It was, you know, and it was like something is going on. And he's preaching Acts 1:8. Anybody remember what Acts 1:8 is? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm like I'll tell you a story. In 1996, Pastor Philip was here and invited us uh, to India. And uh, I, I don't know whether it was both of us that year or whether it was just me because it was part of a dental clinic. And so I went to go be a part of a dental clinic over in India in 1996. Both of us had gone, yeah. And, uh, and so we went, and that was awesome, and it was, I mean, it was massive. We saw thousands of people, and, and uh, so again, in 20, 2006, I was back in India. We had been several times in between. I think we went almost every year, and this was 2006, and I'm being part of the dental clinic again. And this patient comes in, this woman comes in. Oh my goodness, it just broke my heart. She came in, and in India, one of the things that people will recognize your status 
is the kind of sari that you wear. Now that's the dress that the women wear. It's, all, it's five meters of cloth that they wrap all around them. And that's the traditional dress in, in southern India. And so, you know, you'll see beautiful saris, every color of the rainbow and everything. And this woman came in, and her sari was uh, threadbare and tattered and very, very plain cotton. And she came kind of hunched over, and she came in, and she was holding her jaw in pain. And she came in and she was barefoot. And I looked, I, I helped her into the chair. And I was fixing her sari over her legs. And I looked at her feet. And I started to weep. And I went, God, what, why, why, what, what, what is this? So much compassion was welling up in my heart as I looked at her feet. They had never had a pair of shoes on them. They had never even had a pair of flip-flops. Barefoot. And they were kind of misformed and dirty. I mean, you're walking on dirt roads where the cows leave their deposits a lot. I mean, you're walking in all of that. Her... I, I, my heart just broke. And as I sat down to help her, the Lord spoke to me. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he said, You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be my witness. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And I thought, okay. I think I'm at the uttermost parts of the earth right now. I'm in the backside of nowhere in India. And this seems to me the uttermost parts of the earth. So we got that one covered, God. I'm, I'm doing what you asked me to do over here. He said, no, I'm talking to you about your Jerusalem. I went, Jerusalem? Well, in this, in that scripture, it says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem is their hometown. That's what this word came to the disciples. In their hometown, you will be my witnesses in your hometown. And I'm like, okay, I'll be your witness in my hometown. He goes, no, I want you to do a dental. You, if you can do dental things over here at the uttermost parts of the earth, you can do dental things in your hometown. And I had a little argument with God. I said, God, number one, there's red tape. There's legal things, there's liability issues, there's malpractice issues, there's all, and we have no money. And how do you do this in, in Canandaigua? And the Lord said to me, I'll give you the plan. And I went, oh, okay. 
Well, in 2006, I came home and I did all my research and I looked and everywhere I could find a free dental program because I felt like that's what the Lord had spoken to me. Be my witnesses with what you can do. Do you know everybody has, in this room has been given a gift or a talent? It might be sweeping floors. Whatever it is, you have a gift or a talent. Mine just happened to be in the dental field. And so he's, I, I searched high and low every place in the U.S., that had a free dental program, and I didn't find very many of them. They all like needed thousands and thousands of dollars of budgets behind them. And so I did this for a couple years, just searching it out, going, God, what is this all about? And he, after I got all of this work done, he said, I told you I'd give you the plan. Huh. Okay, then. Wasted time. Okay, God, you give me the plan. And I literally sat at my desk with a blank steno pad and said, okay, God, I've done everything I can. I have searched out everything I can. I can't find anything that'll work. Here I am, blank piece of paper, and I've got my pen in my hand. You give me the program. And he gave the program. And I went, huh, this is pretty smart. I think this is smarter than me. This is way smarter than me. And put the whole program down. And it has become Supply a Smile. Many of you might have volunteered and served at Supply a Smile, but it became Supply a Smile. But listen, there's a process in this. In 2008, God gave the plan. Here it is, two years later, God gave the plan. Took me two years of doing my own thing, trying to figure out God. And then it was like, I told you, I'd give you the plan. So 2008, he gives us the plan. So I go, okay, what are we going to do with this plan? And so I bring it to Jeff, Pastor Jeff, and say, Canandaigua Church is in action. Is this something, they were talking about doing medical clinics, and I said, would you like a dental clinic? And so I brought the whole proposal to CCIA and said, what do you think about Supply a Smile? And he took it to the board, and they turned it down. They said, no, we don't think this is the right timing. We don't think this will work. So I went back to prayer, which I had finally learned that that was the best thing to do. I went back to prayer and I said, okay, God, you, this is your program. This is what you said. So I guess I'll just hold on until you tell me to do this again. So about six or eight months went by and I, the Lord, I felt impressed to the Lord to print off my program again and hand it into CCIA and have them uh, uh, um, evaluate it again. Sent it in and they went, thanks, but no thanks. We don't think it'll work. I'm like, okay, 2010, who can do the math from 2008 to 2010? How many years, how many months, how many days went by when I 
submit it again, and they go, oh, this is brilliant. Yes, let's do this. The exact same plan. Not a word was changed. I just hit print on my computer one more time and submitted it, and it was the right time at the right place and the right program. And so 2010, we got approval. 2011, we had all of our ducks in a row. We had lawyers. We had doctors. We had everybody on the board ready to go making it a program. And 2011, we started the program. And up until the pandemic, we had seen 1,477 patients with hundreds of thousands of dollars freely of dentistry, freely, absolutely free given away. We have a zero operating, zero dollar operating budget. Zero dollars. Any money that's come in, we even did an appreciation dinner and the money was donated for the appreciation dinner. Everything that has been donated and given has been given away until just a couple years ago, I started to write some grants so that we could give more services away. And so we've given all of these services away. Now, why do I tell you that story? Acts 1.8 says, but you, who is you? Anybody in this room that's not a you? <laughs> but you shall, shall, is that a maybe? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When did he promise it? Did he promise? He said, Jesus, back up a, a half a phrase. And Jesus says to the disciples, he says this, back in, chapter, in verse 4. He said, don't go anywhere from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They didn't know what he was talking about. What is the promise of the Father? What does that mean? When I was, when he gave me the promise in India about you shall be my witness in Jerusalem, he was giving me a promise. How many years later, I went, oh, this is that. Has God given you a promise? Has he given you an assignment? Has he put a dream in your heart of something that is probably way bigger than you? It's way smarter than you. Ephesians 3 says he does things greater, more than we could ever think or imagine. He doesn't just do little things. I tried to just find a program and copy somebody else's. He doesn't do it that way. This is that. It was like, oh, God, this is amazing. 
But you, this is where Chris left us last week. You, you and I shall receive power. Spiritual awakening, boldness, revival, renewal. You put the word in there that you want to put in there. But you shall, I kind of like power. You shall receive power to do what? Live well. Be my witness wherever you go. Be my witness wherever you go. You shall. You shall receive power. To do, dunamis, you shall receive it in order that you can do the God-given destiny and plan that he has for you. He'll give you wisdom. There's nothing that he won't share with you. But most of all, I need his power. I need his boldness. I need the Holy Spirit working in me, guiding me, directing me, teaching me, so that I can't, so I'm not stuck wasting two years looking at somebody else's program. Don't scrub the process. God's in the process. Maybe you're only in day one since the promise was given. He gave me the promise in 2006. It was 2011 when we opened our doors. Don't scrub the process. You'll learn stuff in the process. You know, I was thinking about Connor this morning. Connor gave his heart to Jesus last Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. If Connor hadn't had an encounter with God last Sunday and given his heart to Jesus, he wouldn't have been up here flagging this morning in order for me to hear that heaven is on the move. Do you see how... Every day and every step and every word that we have influences somebody else because there's a series of events and those times, we're not waiting five years anymore. God is in a, the, the, his timetable has squished and things are moving faster. In order for one week ago, Connor to accept Jesus. So that we would hear that heaven is on the move. I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. Don't scrub the process because you and I are in the process and will be transformed in the process. You know, God's not interested in personalities anymore. Billy Graham's gone. Anybody remember Catherine Kuhlman? Oral Roberts? When we got saved? 
It was, it was the book that we read, Expect a Miracle, was the first book we read together. Oral Roberts, Expect a Miracle. Those personalities are gone. God's not looking for personalities. He's looking for a people who would host his presence wherever they go. Because it's not about I who live, but it's about Christ who lives in me. Is it true? It's true. I'm going to close with one more story. The whole thing? So that everybody hears that it's not I who live. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> about the personalities. It's not about personalities. Actually, the, it's not about personalities. Actually, the Lord said it to us. It's not about platform anymore. It's not about platform. It's about the people of God. It's about empowering the people of God to start being the people of God because the presence of God is in you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not about whoever's up it's not about this platform anymore it's as we go out and we touch people's lives the reason I told you the dental story was not because I'm wonderful I already told you I blew it I needed God but the fact of the matter is when God had that plan it was to touch people's lives it was to change people's lives that program, people have walked into that program with their head down and said, I just want my smile back. We fix their smile, and they walk in. Their hair is clean, their clothes are clean, their shoulders are back, and they are smiling from ear to ear. They got jobs when they couldn't get jobs. They can eat when they couldn't eat before. The life stories, I can tell you life stories. It's not about how wonderful the program is. It's that people's lives were touched with the love of Jesus in a practical, tangible way. That's, that's the you part. That's the us part, that every single one of us has that ability to touch people's lives with the, with the love of Jesus in a tangible, practical way. So, my story. I was, I love uh, Corey Ten Boom. She's gone now. But I met her when I was 13 years old. And so since then, I have read all of her books. And I'm, I was just reading another one um, again and listening to Corey. There was actually some YouTube um, interviews of Corey Ten Boom. And so I was listening to it the other day and just to hear her voice and the passion in her heart for for her mission and her adventure in the Lord. Corrie ten Boom was telling the story of, um, 
she is actually in in the Netherlands she was the first woman licensed watchmaker and this was back in the before the 40s 19 I don't I don't know what year she was licensed but um, and her dad was a watchmaker and so they had a little shop and so Corey would go and work with her dad in the watchmaker shop and she would sit there and they're doing all this intricate fine work I mean on watches I can't even imagine but they're doing this work together and her dad would talk to her about his faith in God day in and day out just the normal conversations about who God is and how great God is and just as they were working together and he told her this story about his grandfather and he said his grandfather back in 1844 so a hundred years prior his grandfather would talk to him as a little boy and he'd say come 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 we must pray 1844 we must pray for the Jews he's in in the Netherlands he's in Holland and he's praying he had this burden from God to pray for the Jews and pray for the peace of Jerusalem and so as a little boy his grandfather would have him come and they would pray and they would pray and they would pray for the Jewish people and for the peace of Jerusalem a hundred years later what did Corey Ten Boom and her dad and family do? They saved the Jews. They rescued the Jews. It was during the World War, and, and the Jews were being taken off to prison camps and, and killed. And their house became the hiding place. I don't know, maybe you can go watch the movie. It's a great movie. It's called The Hiding Place. And their house became the hiding place for Jews. And they had Jews in their home and hid them from the Germans until they could get them safely out of the country and get them to safety. Well, one day, Corey tells this story. And she said one day, uh, she heard that there were going to be 100 Jewish babies killed she went, we cannot have that. So Corey had been, she was, she was young, and she, but she was working with youth. She had about 50 youth, boys and girls, young, young adults that she would work with and disciple. And, and so she had this group, and she said to this group, she said, we must save those babies. And they said, how are we going to save those babies? And she said, we will steal them. Now, Corey Ten Boom, if you, I mean, you've just, you have to, she's this tiny, now, this little, well, she's gone now, but I mean, she's this little, soft-spoken woman, and she goes, we will steal those babies. And I, I'm thinking, how are they going to steal those babies? Well, that's what the youth said to her. And the youth said, how are we going to steal those babies? And she said, you know those German soldiers that I led to the Lord a couple weeks ago? 
we're going to take their uniforms. And we are going to march in and steal and take back those hundred babies, which is exactly what they did. So some of the youth of her group put on the German soldiers' uniforms, went in, took the hundred babies. In one day, they had placed those hundred babies in families so that they were safe and have lived, and all because... She had led a couple German soldiers to the Lord previously, so she had their uniforms. So one of the youth says to her, Corey, I have now found the most important work that I am to do. I am going to save Babies, I am going to save. He was one of the ones that wore the German uniform. I am going to save babies. I am going to save the Jews. I am going to work in this. This is the most important work in my life. And Corey said to him, Pete, that is not the most important work. The most important work is to save souls. And Pete said to her, well, that's not my job. That's my pastor's job. And Corey said, no, that's the most important work that you and I have is to bring people to Jesus. So a few years went by, and Pete got caught. He was saving Jews. He got caught. He was arrested and sent to prison. Auschwitz or one of the German prison camps. And he was put into a into a cell, I guess, with all the, uh, the other prisoners that had one week to live. They were given one week. And Pete realized, he remembered the words that Corey said to him. He's, he's thinking, I can't save any more Jews. I can't save my life. I'm going to die in a week. But I can bring people to know Jesus. And he spent that week telling his fellow cellmates about Jesus. Every single one of them gave their heart to Jesus before they died. And Pete wrote a letter. The only reason Corey knows anything, Pete wrote a letter to Corey and said to her, all the, the story of the, of the prisoners all giving their hearts to Jesus. And he says, Corey, you are right. I have found the most important work to do. So number one, the only reason you'll be able to do anything like that is if you know Jesus loves you. If you know who you are. You know, you're loved by God. You have that power that comes from that foundation. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do what he's asked us to do. And number two, do you want to do it? The response is yours. You can say no. Or you can say yes, and it's not hard. 
All you have to be is you. You don't have to be me. Please don't start another dental program. <laughs> do, do what you're supposed to do. You know, I was thinking about Peter. You know, you've got that Acts 1-8. They're up in the upper room. And what had happened before that? Peter had denied Jesus three times. He was feeling pretty bad, I think. It says in the last chapter of John, he had gone fishing because he didn't know what else to do. He had kind of given up on the whole thing. He was like, I'm disqualified. Jesus can't use me anymore. I denied him three times. What could be worse than that? And what happens on the beach? I love beach ministry, by the way. What happens on the beach with Jesus? He comes to Peter. And he makes him breakfast. You can read it, the end of John. He makes him breakfast and he goes, hey, Pete, how's it going? And Peter's like, Oh, I don't think you even want to see me, Jesus. You, did you know I denied you? Of, of course he knew that he denied him. Of course he knew he was out fishing. He went and found him. Jesus went out and found him, made him breakfast, had it all ready and said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Follow me. He completely restored Peter, that had to happen on the beach before the upper room. Or Peter wouldn't have been up in the upper room. It took an encounter with the living Christ, which is what I pray for each one of us today. An encounter with the living Christ. And let him hear, let you hear him say, I love you. Come on, follow me. So this morning, if you if you have a yes in your heart, ask yourself, what is my sphere of influence? Who are the people that I touch? Maybe you take care of two-year-olds. Maybe, and, and that's your sphere of influence. I can't wait for my three and my one-year-old to come home so I can have more influence in their life. It's, it's who is in your sphere of influence? Who do you talk to every day? Do you talk to the cashier when you go to Wakeman's? Do you find out their name? Maybe you just need some boldness, and I want to pray for us today. Maybe you need boldness, and maybe you need the, uh, 
a fresh awakening from the Holy Spirit. You need empowerment. Maybe you need just whatever you want to call it, renewal, revival, boldness, empower, awakening, bold. I don't even have all the words, but maybe that's what you need in order to do what God's asking you to do. I'm asking you right now, if you want that, stand to your feet, and we're going to pray and ask God that he would empower us to live well. It was Peter who said, if you want to go and read a little bit more in your Bible, in 2 Peter, it was Peter who said, God, I, you have given me everything I need for life and godliness through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I am asking right now for each one of us, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, we are here. We might not be 120, but we are here, and we are asking you, God, to come with fresh boldness, with fresh power, with awakening, God, that you would go right to the depths of our hearts. Bring compassion, God. P break our hearts with what breaks yours. God, bypass all of those arguments that we have in our mind, Lord, and go to our hearts. And Lord, Holy Spirit, we're asking you, come, come, come. Holy Spirit, there is such a hunger. There is such a hunger. God, create, stir up that hunger in us right now for more of you. Not to be satisfied with what we've had in the past, but God knew for today, fresh manna, fresh manna, a fresh move of your Holy Spirit. God, I am asking that you would grant us boldness. God, that you, that's us, you shall receive power. That's a promise from the Father. God, this is that is going to look different in every single one of us. But God, it's still the promise of the Father that you are going to pour out. And God, I'm asking that you pour it out today in our generation. Lord, don't let the kids in kids' church be missed or the kids in nursery be missed or those, anybody on the live stream. God, I am asking for you, your power to come in power, in power, Lord, and go past the arguments that we have in our minds that says, we can't do this. We're not smart enough. We're not whatever enough. God, you can do it because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, I'm praying for this family of God that we would live well. We would live well to your glory and your praise in Jesus' name. Amen. amen and amen. We hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God today. Again, this podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York. If you'd like to learn more about us, find us at our website at zionfellowship.net or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, feel free to give us a call at 585-394-7450. Blessings to you as you continue in your day.